0: Our scripture this morning is taken from the 17th chapter of Acts, verses 22 through 27. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things, From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Grace. Grace. That's a word we hear a lot in church, don't we? Grace. I had a church member once who had a son named Grant, and when Grant was little, he and his dad used to sit in the back of the sanctuary and count how many times during the course of worship someone sang or prayed or said the word Grant, and it happened a lot. Now, Grant had a relative, I think it was a grandmother named Grace, and so sometimes they would count the times Grace was said or sang or prayed during worship, and a lot of times the Graces uh, were more than the Grants. Now, I'm not telling you this so that you can replicate this game when you get a little bit bored in church. Geez, I probably should not have told you about that, but anyway, Grace, the point is Grace, we say it a lot. It's a word that we use a lot in church. So since it's a word that we hear so often here in church, it ought to be easy for us to define right? Grace? Can you tell me what it means? It's kind of slippery, isn't it? It's a word we use so much, and we know it's important, but when it comes down to nailing down exactly what it is, it can be grace, it can be a little vague. When I'm talking to seventh graders, like in confirmation class, I like to summarize it by saying, grace is getting more than you deserve. Grace is getting more than you deserve. Which I think is true, but it's also a pretty simple explanation for a pretty deep concept. One of the best explanations of grace I've ever encountered was from a writer named Frederick Beekner. It's pure poetry, his definition of grace, and I, I just want to read it to you this morning. Uh, we're going to put the words up on the screen as well so you can follow along. Beekner says, After centuries of handling and mishandling... Most religious words have become so shop-worn nobody's much much interested anymore. Not so with grace, for some reason. Mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do there's nothing you have to do the grace of God means something like here is your life you might never have been but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you here's the world beautiful and terrible things will happen don't be afraid I'm with you nothing can ever separate us it's for you I created the universe I love you there's only one catch Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. Isn't that lovely? It's a whole sermon all to itself. And it goes a long way in helping us understand what we mean when we talk about God's grace. But there's still so much more for us to know and explore and understand, which is why we're going to take the next few weeks here in worship to talk about grace. And we're going to talk about it in a way that's very particular to Methodists. United Methodists, probably more than any other denomination, love grace. It's not that other churches don't believe in or talk about or appreciate the grace of God. It's just that we talk about it a whole lot more, I'm pretty sure more than any other church. And we find the roots of our love for grace right in the writings of our founding father, John Wesley. Now, according to the teachings of Wesley, the United Methodist Church holds that the grace of God actually has three movements, and they're all interrelated, and they're all from the same source, from God, who gives them to us without price. Grace is God's free and perfect gift to us. But we understand that the grace of God is not just a single moment in our lives. It's not just a a particular point in time. Rather, it's a gift that we experience throughout our whole lives, from beginning to end. And so to help us understand how God is at work throughout our lives with the gift of grace, Wesley labeled these three kinds of grace that we experience. He called them prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. If you've been a Methodist a long time or if you've been through confirmation or as a mentor you might recognize those words provenient justifying and sanctifying grace today we're going to talk about the first one about provenient grace provenient comes from the Latin pre meaning before and vine meaning to come so provenient grace is simply the grace that goes before we might also call it enabling grace or preceding grace Provenient grace is how God is active in the world and in our lives before we even know who God is or have any kind of relationship with God at all And this is a fundamental a crucial truth about who God is God doesn't wait for us to act first To start the relationship somehow God starts it God acts first God takes the first step God makes the first move always God offers the first gift remember what Beekner said there's nothing you have to do there's nothing you have to do there's nothing you have to do this is the power of prevenient grace God doesn't wait for us to come to God God acts first God comes to us God even stirs up in us a desire to know who God is before we know who God is it, it happens in moments like when somebody walks into a church Kind of out of the blue and and they say I don't really know why I'm here I just felt like I needed to come today or maybe you've heard somebody say I hadn't prayed in a long 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 time but something just made me bow my head and start talking to God prevenient grace it's the grace that goes before it's the grace that shows us that God is at work even before we're looking out for God in our lives now, incidentally, this is why in the United Methodist Church we always celebrate an open communion table. We do not know what God is up to in the hearts and spirits of people around us. I mean, what if God's provenient grace is at work in someone and they are drawn to the sacrament of Holy Communion before we even know anything about them? Who are we to say they can't encounter the grace of God there at the table and start their relationship with Jesus right in that moment? We want to always leave room for God's prevenient grace to work. So we allow anyone, and I mean anyone, to come to the communion table. Now, we credit the teaching about prevenient grace to John Wesley, but he didn't make it up, of course. Our scripture today is a wonderful moment when the Apostle Paul uses this same idea to talk to a bunch of uh, Gentiles in Athens, Greece. The reading comes from the book of Acts, as Mark said, and You might remember Acts is the story about how the church started as a a small group of disciples in Jerusalem and then expanded out to include the whole world, or it's the start of that story at least. And a key player in this story is a guy named Paul. It's where we first meet him in the book of Acts, and he's persecuting Christians, but then he has his own giant encounter with the grace of God, and he's converted to the way of Jesus, and he goes on to be the biggest evangelist the church has ever had. In the passage today paul is on a trip a journey talking to people in different parts of the world he's going through asia minor he's going around speaking mostly to jews in various places teaching in the synagogues and running into various kinds of trouble as he did he gets chased away uh, from a town called thessalonica by some synagogue leaders who were pretty mad at him And so he goes to a place called Beoria, and the exact same thing happens. He gets chased out of town, and he gets sent on to Athens for his own safety. And when he arrives there in Athens, he starts talking to people in the marketplace. Probably he went to a spot in the public square where philosophers would come and debate and discuss. And so he's there talking, and he he gives this wonderful short sermon there to the people of Athens, and he says basically, I can tell that you've been searching for the truth I see that you're trying to be very religious you have statues you have idols up all over your city I even found this one statue that was uh, dedicated to quote an unknown God well guess what I know who that unknown God is I know who you've been searching for because there's only one God And this God made the heavens and the earth and us, and we're all searching and groping and looking for spiritual nourishment until we find this one true God. Paul says this beautiful line, it's in God that we live and move and have our being. And then he tells those Athenians about Jesus, about his life, his death, his resurrection. And some of them turn away unimpressed, and some of them want to hear more. And some of them are converted to the path of discipleship. Paul is saying to them, you don't know God, but God is here. God's ready to meet you. You have this sense of something spiritual. Well, let me help you take the next step and enter into this relationship with God who wants to save you. God who wants to save us all. Paul wants them to recognize the prevenient way that God is present to them. And then to take the next step. Now this fits exactly with our understanding of prevenient grace that God is active in the world and and we can see and experience God's presence before we have any idea what God is all about John Wesley he didn't talk about it as steps he, he had a different metaphor he liked to use and that was the metaphor of a house when he talked about grace he, he said provenient grace is like hanging out on the porch we're not quite in a relationship yet with God To do that we have to walk through the door into the house but we're close we're on the porch and on the porch we're there we're hearing the invitation of God's love on the porch we can feel something's up we can see the party going on inside the house God is near to us and God is preparing our hearts and our minds to respond in faith and what's so very important about provenient grace is it's available to everyone to everyone anybody can come hang out on the porch some of Wesley's contemporaries and some Christians still today think that God's grace is only available to a select few, to an elect few. And that was not true for Wesley, and it's not true for the United Methodist Church. Anyone, everyone gets the invitation to relationship that we find in prevenient grace. It's just that not everyone accepts that invitation. Not everybody walks through the door. Some people get stirred up by the grace of God, uh, and then they choose to walk off the porch and go their own way. And that's the freedom that we have. Now, what does provenient grace look like in the world? Well, here's one of the best stories that I have ever heard about it. It was told to me by a dear friend, a colleague, a pastor. One day at the end of the year, she went to go visit one of her church members in the hospital. And this woman had just had knee replacement surgery, and when my friend, the pastor, went to the hospital room, one of the woman's adult daughters was there, and the pastor met her. And the family said that another daughter was also coming from out of town and would be there the next day. Well, the next day, which happened to be New Year's Eve, the pastor went to the local coffee shop, as pastors do go to coffee shops, happens all the time, okay? And uh, she saw there the daughter that she had met in the hospital room. And with that woman was another woman that she presumed to be the other daughter from out of town. So they all greeted each other and they were talking and the daughters started to give the pastor an update about their mother and her health and her progress. And eventually the pastor realized that there was this third woman who was actually standing nearby that was actually participating in the conversation. And so the pastor turned and said, I'm sorry, I don't think we've met, and introduced herself. And it turned out that this third woman was the half-sister to the other two that the pastor didn't know existed. And this third woman actually lived in town. So the other two daughters just assumed that they had met each other already, but they hadn't met. They hadn't met until that moment right then in the coffee shop. So they chatted for a bit. And as the conversation ended, the pastor said to the woman who lived there in town, hey, we should grab coffee or something sometime. I'd I'd love to get to know you better. And the woman said, that'd be great. I'd love it too. That night, New Year's Eve, a shooting happened in downtown Wichita. The next morning, the pastor got a call from the father of the family to say, That shooting that you're hearing about on the news this morning, the man who shot and killed someone is my daughter's husband. He's in jail. So the pastor asked for the woman's phone number, this woman she had just met in the coffee shop the day before. The pastor called and said, I know we just met yesterday and this this must be so hard, but I'd like to pastor you through it. So the woman came to the pastor's office later that day. That Sunday, she came to church for the first time in years and years, and she came back the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and every Sunday after that. And months later, the pastor was in court beside the woman holding her hand when witnesses at the trial said awful things about her husband. And weeks after that, the pastor was in court holding the woman's hand when her husband was sentenced to prison. The pastor was there. The church was there. The woman knew and felt God was there, and the woman's life was fundamentally different because of it. This woman went on to be highly involved in the church community, even chairing the staff parish committee for a couple of years. That moment in the coffee shop on a day that turned out to be one of the worst days of her life that woman started a relationship that would help carry her through all of it she found in that moment an invitation to community to support to faith to love to a new relationship with God when she had no idea how much she would need it that is prevenient grace maybe you have your own amazing story of God's prevenient grace God at work doing something before you have any clue that you needed grace at all if so I hope that you'll hold tight to that story that you'll cherish it that you'll retell it to yourself and others because there is nothing more magnificent than what God does through these moments of prevenient grace one of the thing that I love about prevenient grace is I think it Really takes the pressure off of us Christians you know we know that we're supposed to go and make disciples of others Jesus told us that at the end of Matthew go and make disciples of all nations he said but Jesus wants us to share that saving love of God wherever we can but pervening grace reminds us that we are not the ones to start the conversation we're not out there cold calling people who don't have a clue about spiritual things Prevenient grace reminds us that God is already at work all over the place, all over the world, all around us. God is at work in a prevenient way, acting in people's lives, inviting them into relationship. Our job is simply to help people make sense of what God is already up to in their lives, to make that unknown God known, as Paul was doing in Athens 2,000 years ago. So I want to encourage you this week to be on the lookout for the ways God is at work in places and with people who don't know much of anything at all about God. Keep your eyes open for God's prevenient grace. Join in what God is doing if you can, knowing that there is much, much, much more grace to come. Thanks be to God. Amen.